I'm Rebecca, and we are Mama Bear Apologetics. We're just two gals talking about life's big questions from a biblical worldview. Because when it comes to the battle of ideas, we need to be able to say, mess with my kids and I will demolish your arguments. You mess, I demolish. Got it? Capiche? (laughs) (laughs) Rise up, ladies. Rise up, Mama Bears. This might not affect your faith, but it might affect your children's. Here with Jody Vice, so I want to give a little background on her. She is the original Mama Bear. A good part of Mama Bear was inspired by when I was in a Sunday school with my parents. My husband was helping out. Uh, it was an apologetics, and this woman stood up and she said, uh, "My son has left the faith." And she started going through all the things that she had done, and she basically taught herself apologetics. And so that was years ago. How long ago was that? Probably uh, at least three. Yeah, at least three years. And so um, when you and I, Rebecca, started doing Mama Bear, then that was my first immediate thing as I said, we need to have her mm-hmm. as our first interview. So please welcome Jody. Very nice to be here. <laughs> <laughs> so Jody, tell us a little bit about your story. Like uh, what, just tell us your story. Well, basically, um, I was a stay-at-home mom. I did teach and do still teach fitness, but uh, my husband was a pilot, so I basically uh, took care of the kids, and uh, so I felt great responsibility for raising my children to know God. Um, I was very active in the church, pretty much did the same role model that my parents did, so Sunday school was important. Um, I was a Sunday school teacher. We did VBS. We had Awana program at mm-hmm. our church, so we did Awana, so I very much immersed myself, my children, in the church. That was the goal, and uh, so felt like I was doing everything I could to share with my children, uh, certainly prayed with them, and uh, tried my best to answer their questions. So uh, as we went through the whole process, really didn't have any issues while my children were with me at home. It was though after my children left and went off to college, my eldest um, had some ups and downs, but he eventually worked through those and he is married today to a godly Christian woman Mm -hmm. and is in the church and uh, Mm -hmm. following God. But my younger son, who I really never had any inclination that he had any issues, basically went off to college and surprisingly came back his first year and wanted to rededicate his life because he said that his youth leader said sometimes as kids when you get baptized maybe you did it more for your parents so Mm -hmm. he said he wanted to make sure it was his faith so I was like right baptized twice that'll really do it (laughs) seal the deal (laughs) absolutely Uh, but that was when he was 19 and then by the time he was 24 he basically told us he didn't believe anymore Mm -hmm. so there was a process of some things that happened in between that time uh, things uh, just the atmosphere in college Uh, the questioning, of course, of everything. He is an engineer. He's very bright. And so he had a scientific mind and he didn't, he said, I just don't see how you put the supernatural together with scientific facts. He also saw a great deal of hypocrisy of the college students there that he would see drunk on Saturday and sitting in church on Sunday. Mm, Some still hung over. Especially, where did he go to school? Uh, Texas Tech. I was going to say, especially kind of in the Bible Belt, you'll see that because one of the things I loved about being uh, in California is since it's not as enculturated there, if you claim to be a Christian, more than likely you you re- you really believed it wasn't kind of um, there wasn't a cultural Christian. There wasn't a cultural Christian. Mm-hmm. I mean, you still had them, but here in Texas, I think, and especially in the South, yes, you see that a lot. Where mm-hmm. it's it's the thing you go to church, it's the thing you do, but they don't 
truly understand because they've never been persecuted for their faith uh, or ostracized. Exactly. And then I think so you had the hypocrisy, you had the science element. And then for Jared, who, uh, again, he was always a very compliant child, very uh, loving, and he really had a moral guide that he tried to do his best. But I think as any young adult, you go to college, you've got a lot of things presented there. And I think as sin temptation came along and he you know was surprised that you know mm-hmm. he would be tempted by things it was kind of like, well wait a minute if i'm a christian why is that not protecting me mm-hmm. so somewhere along the way the wrong thought process uh, came in which is kind of hard because the church he was raised in was a grace-based church yes <laughs> understand that christ came for your sins you are a sinner and he came to save you and it's a process that you walk through life with mm-hmm. and you're not expected to be perfect that's why Christ had to die for us, because mm-hmm. he knew we weren't, would not be perfect. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think, Rebecca, you and I have talked about this before, that sometimes one of the things that can really rock someone's faith is when they're believing in promises that God did not make. Exactly. Right. And mm-hmm. it's like we say, there is one promise that you can count on, and that's that you'll have trials and tribulations. But I think sometimes the gospel, it's kind of a bait and switch. The gospel is presented as this is going to make your life better, you're going to be protected. You're not going to, when you're a Christian, you don't struggle with these things, and and the church is a safe place. Yes, the, yeah, and very much. People in the church are going to be wonderful, and people many times are. But um, the whole idea that the church would have problems is people struggle with, or that people would get actually hurt in the church. Yeah, yeah, actually, you're right. The getting the hurt in the church. Yeah, so it sounds like he kind of had that belief that I'm I'm not going to struggle with these things if I've I've been raised in the church. Why would I struggle with these things? He had almost kind of like a utopian view of Christianity, I think, mm-hmm. and maybe that's kind of part of his personality too, an idealist. And well, and I think uh, one of the things, of course, that comes out once I started investigating after this shocked my husband and I that this was happening was that uh, we, as many in our generation did, raised our children in a Christian bubble. Mm -hmm. Uh, You want to protect your children. The culture was starting to change. We still, though, um, in our little community, I mean, as parents, we could still go to school. We still had Christmas programs. It was okay to sing Christmas carols. (laughs) Um, So we had a lot of support in that way. And so you just feel like, uh, you know, you wanted to provide for your child. You kept them away from bad music and bad movies and mm-hmm. all the things that were coming out. But then, of course, when they go out into the real world, even though you felt like you talked about those things, you don't realize that the bubble that you created really pops when they yeah. go into the college environment, which is truly set up to go after your child. I, yes. I just have to say that. I just think that to be very true. I think the movie God is Not Dead, it was a perfect example of what is happening because your children will be challenged yeah, in every absolutely. way. About and tempted faith. because they're on their own for the first time and they're... Our culture is so sexual and mm. and so and you know people have so much money and leisure time and they can party and all this stuff. there's a lot of temptation there too I think there's a whole talk that there's a man named Frank Turk does it's called intellectual predators and we'll probably post a link to that on the website but it talks about specifically how the professors do target these kids and some of them are very uh, very open and blatant saying my goal is to change your child's faith. My goal is that for believing, you know, freshmen to come in that they will leave my uh, my classroom unfettered by religion anymore. And I've, yeah, some people think that God's Not Dead was an over-exaggeration, but I've, I've had people that I talked to where they came back and said, oh, I had that professor. His name was 
and they gave an actual professor that was just like the guy from God's mm-hmm. Not Dead. So it, it was an accurate portrayal for a lot of people. It was for me, my professor, especially in the humanities. Mm. Yeah. Well, if anybody ever stayed at the end of that movie and watched the credits, the Alliance Defending Freedom, mm-hmm. uh, is the Christian organization of lawyers that was actually put together by Dr. Dobson and James Kennedy and several oh. Chuck Colson. They helped they organize that. that many, many years ago because they saw what was coming, the sea change that Christianity was going to be under persecution and mm-hmm. we needed to start fighting back. You know, we lost prayer in school back in the 60s mm-hmm. and the snowball began to go down. A lot of us, though, didn't realize how fast the ball was rolling. Mm-hmm. And if you would look at those credits, it's... Uh, case after case of every school you can imagine from end to end. It's not just in the Northeast or Northwest, uh, many in Texas, that they were actually, you know, having to go and help students because of the very thing that happened to this mm-hmm. student. I think I do so, remember seeing that, yeah, just the cases they, they were listing so that people know this isn't, you know, they could have said at the beginning based on, a, you know, true events. I, I don't think they put that, but they really could have Put that there because you'll you'll see this. Yeah, and they had the case after case. It's like the perfect combination of things. You have kids away from home for the first time, mm-hmm. and all of a sudden they have all these temptations that pop- might not have been as big when they were at home in their bubble. And at the same time, there's there are these authority figures in their life, the professors, that are challenging them, questioning their faith. Mm-hmm. Well, they have a great impetus if they are finding they are not being successful with the temptation to question the faith, right? To kind of help them cope with the guilt. I know that was a struggle that I had in mm-hmm. my late teens. It was much easier to question my faith so that I could kind of party and do that sort of stuff. So I think it's like the perfect combination of things. Yeah. It's a very, um, children or young adults are very vulnerable at that time. And our enemy knows that. Yes. Yeah, yeah Dr. John Lennox, I was listening to a talk uh, from him yesterday and he was talking about how Sometimes atheists will come at him and say, oh, Christianity, I mean, they use Freudian logic. Christianity is just a a wishful thinking of people who want to believe that there is a big father in the sky looking out for them. And he, of course, he responds saying, well, atheism is just wishful thinking of someone who doesn't want to be accountable. So both of those, he's like, what's your point? So we can go through psychology. There's no point to either of those. But yeah, so atheism and just walking away from the faith are very attractive because at that point, you don't have to say, oh, sleeping with my girlfriend or my boyfriend is wrong. I can just kind of toss that aside. and It's okay. Mm-hmm. You know? mm-hmm. It's encouraged, in fact, there. Mm-hmm. Um, so... So you didn't see any kind of um, signs where, where, was there anything when he was growing up where he would ask questions or was there anything that you can think back to that would have, you were like, hmm, maybe I should have paid attention? I would say probably in his senior year, um, definitely, uh, he specifically one time went to a party and came home and it was the only time he ever came home and he definitely had had drank. Yeah. And um, the kind of thing where you're up all night and, and, and uh, constantly saying, Mom, I'm so sorry. I can't believe I did this. And, you know, it's just like, well, it's a lesson learned. You yeah. know, mm-hmm. you tell the children don't drink. You're going to get sick from it. Mm-hmm. He did. In fact, he kept saying, do you think I have alcohol poisoning? I said, no, I don't think it's that bad. I mean, he was just like so sure. Uh, so in general, when you have a child that's a straight A student, mm-hmm. just very dedicated in his activities, 
was active, you know, in the church body, I really did not see any red flags with him. Yeah. I really just did not. Yeah. And uh, I think those kind of children that are very compliant are the ones you almost have to pay attention more mm. because you assume they've always done well, they don't struggle in school, things are going well. And they learn how to cover things more. The Ooh, ones yeah. that are out there, like my elder strong will child, I knew everything going on because he <laughs> expressed it fully. So there were no shocks or surprises. And as we addressed things, he didn't hide it. He really couldn't. He just had to let it out, and then we would deal with it. Whereas the compliant child really didn't want to ruffle feathers. So he learned how to keep it quiet and on the down low. Yeah. So that's what we kind of figured out later on. Yeah. And regarding the Christian bubble, one of the things I've heard it compared to is kind of raising a plant in a greenhouse. You can have all the right conditions, the right soil, the right everything. And you can have a plant that goes really grows really straight, but it doesn't grow very strong. Because yeah. it's never had to struggle. You put that plant uh, out, out in the elements and... You've got a dead plant pretty soon. Mm-hmm. Um, that there is something to be said for that that struggle while you're in the protection um, of the parents. Where uh, I know my husband, he teaches high school apologetics, and one of his stated goals is that we need to pop these bubbles while they're still in a safe place for that bubble to be popped. Mm-hmm. I think one of the biggest things that you know, there's a million woulda, shoulda, couldas, and you would like to go back. I would have most definitely tried to do and had my children go to more community outreach types of things. Mm -hmm. So they, number one, see outside the bubble what Mm -hmm. other people are really dealing with. Mm -hmm. See Christian community activities, services, whatever, coming alongside these people and being the hands and feet of Jesus. Mm -hmm. You get kind of going in the flow of things, especially sports in Texas is big. (laughs) And therefore, if you have athletic children, and I did, and they did well, that begins to consume and eat. And so there's only so much time in the day to do well in your studies, and then you have your fitness. Mm-hmm. Uh, so then you're, you know, you're in church on Sunday, and maybe they've got their Bible study during the week. You kind of think, where else would I pack it in? Yeah. If I could have done it over, mm-hmm. I would have uh, just the sports somehow mm-hmm. cut it out, cut it down, backed it off, mm-hmm. and said more time would have been spent, well spent, doing outreach, community, getting him out there in real-world situations and having other children who don't have half of what he had and saying, wow, you know, I'm in this situation, but the Salvation Army took my family in and they provided this home for me and this food for me and they taught me that though my dad left my mom, that, you know, God still loves me and make it real. That is the huge failure, I think, of our generation, and I talk about my group, uh, that did not let our children see the rougher side of life, the need, Mm -hmm. because it is in trial, and we know that through the Bible, that people come to Christ, through the stories that we see of people who went through difficulties, and then they reach out to God. Mm -hmm. But in our Christian bubble, as we were talking, Mm -hmm. we keep things so protected that yeah. they don't see the struggle either through themselves or others, and then they just don't know how to reach out. And so yeah. we need to learn how to make Christ have hands and feet for them so it's real, so it carries with them, and that they see it makes a difference in the world. I love that. And 
And I know that a lot of what you teach in your series is teaching parents to understand the culture and understand what's going on, and also to be able to incorporate that in their teaching for children. But what you're saying here is not just the teaching, it's also the doing. And I certainly didn't have the doing either. I was um, training to be a professional ballerina, and I was like, you know, 24-7 literally. And my parents, you know, they sacrificed a lot for me to do that, but I did not have the opportunity to go into the community and see what the church is doing. A lot of churches aren't doing that. Yeah. A lot of churches are kind of focused on just sending money overseas. Now, they do have mission trips and such, which I think are good, too. But actually, there's so much need in the community around us. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe if your church is not doing that, start it and get the children involved, the kid, the high school, you know, even the young kids. You know, we, our church, um, the church I go to, we support a homeless shelter in um, uh, Collin County. It's the only homeless shelter. And it's a different kind of homeless shelter where they take in families. You have to sign a contract. You have to be drug alcohol free for six months while you're there. It's like you live there. I mean, it's a, a neat thing. It's called Samaritan's Inn. It's more like a, almost like a rehab. It, it is kind of. And, and, and they have all kinds of activities to help people get back on their feet. Well, one of the things our church do is we go and we serve lunch. So we've been taking our girls there. And that was, I mean, you know, they were seven and five when we first took them. And that was very eye-opening for them. It's not just theoretical. They had been praying for orphans in Haiti. No, these are people here and now, and they are seeing them. Um, and they're seeing this this ministry that's actually working and getting, it's, it's God-centered, Christ-centered, and getting people back on their feet. So I love that because it becomes real. Yes. You know? Now, Jody, you've told me before that one of the things that you noticed for kids that are walking away from the faith is at some point they didn't it wasn't real to them. There's a woman that we love, we'll probably feature her a lot, named Natasha Crane, who she had a blog recently saying how to know, um, or it might not have been so recent, I was just going back and reading, but the blog was uh, the top way to tell if your children are borrowing your faith. And uh, one of the things that she said is they don't ask questions. That's the number one thing that you can tell if they're uh, just borrowing your faith and not making it themselves, uh, making it their own. You told me a really great story about what you did at, after after your son had walked away, and you went to a fifth grade classroom, and you wanted to find out if the faith was real for them. Tell tell everybody what you did because I thought that was brilliant. Well, so I uh, came into the Sunday school class. We were substituting that week, and so I just said we were going to study the story of Jericho. And I just asked them, these are fifth graders, and so I said, so how many people think that the city of Jericho is real? And only half the class raised their hand. And so I asked the others, what did they think? And they said, well, it's like a fairy tale. And, and these were kids that were raised in the church. These weren't just like visitor kids. These are the ones that have been there that you right. knew. This is the fifth grade Sunday school girls. Yeah. Very bright girls. So I had brought uh, my globe I brought uh, a book, it's history of, of uh, the Bible, and so I had a picture of what Jericho looks like now. I showed mm-hmm. them on the globe where Jericho was. Mm-hmm. Uh, we discussed what archaeologically they had found mm-hmm. about the city being there and that it very much looked like it had been, mm-hmm. you know, brought down the way it had. I think the, they showed that the walls had actually fallen out, mm-hmm. which yes. uh, if you were to have people that were sieging a city, you would see them pushing in on the walls mm-hmm. so the fact that it, it fell outwards. It's bizarre. It, the only way you'd see that is if the people in the city were trying to get out, which if you're under siege, you're not 
trying to yeah. knock down your own walls. Yeah. yeah. So at the end, then I asked, now how many people think it's real? And everyone raised their hand. That's awesome. So, but the point that really struck me <laughs> was too often the way we talk about the Bible, the way we're teaching it now, for whatever reason, with this group of young people that we have in our postmodern culture, everything needs to be authentic. Mm -hmm. They want authenticity and you need to make it real to them and make them understand these things really happened. Mm -hmm. Because if Jesus is going to be real with skin on, you better talk about him as a real figure. Mm -hmm. um, I also had to sub one time my husband. He needed help because he was doing the fifth grade boys. So he did the same thing. But we did what I did was I brought in things about George Washington. Mm -hmm. And I said, do you know who he is? And most kind of nodded. But <laughs> I brought pictures and I uh, all kinds of things. I said, we can prove George Washington existed. He said these things. He did these things. He is our president. And, you know, and he believed in God. And mm -hmm. I had a picture of him kneeling. And so then I said, Jesus is as real as George Washington. Mm -hmm. Do you believe that? And some of them nodded yes, and some just kind of looked at us with blank stares. And so we had mm -hmm. to go from that aspect. We're assuming mm -hmm. that our children are taking our stories, but again, if we're presenting it with cutesy pie little things and sing songy things, not that, again, you still have to be age appropriate, but you have to talk in venues that it's real. This yeah. is real. This historically happened. Because at one point, my son told me, he said, well, Mom, you told me the tooth fairy was real when I was little, and it's not. You told me that uh, Santa Claus was real, and uh, Steve Davis down the street said he's not. Mm -hmm. And he said, so why do I think Jesus is real? Mm -hmm. Now, when I was a child, the connection that when I found out the tooth fairy and Santa weren't real, that Jesus wasn't real. I never made that leap. Yeah. And some people say, well, that's just an excuse. And yet I actually heard that, and I'm, I'm sorry I can't quote the, the place, so I won't mention, but that, <laughs> that very excuse was given by someone. So they said, well, if you lied about this and this, then you probably lied about Jesus too. Mm -hmm. It's all just made up. That is the crux of what we've got to stop. We've got to make it real. Yeah. And children, even very young children, are capable of that kind of concrete um, thinking. We have these wonderful books that we do for our school. It's called The Story of the World. And um, and, the, and the curriculum is a history curriculum that um, I think is by um, Veritas. And it incorporates what's going on in secular history along with biblical history so that you don't and you, you don't even see a demarcation between them. So mm. my daughter is learning that history is history and Bible history is part of that historical record. They can understand that the young kids are yeah. capable of much more than we give them credit for. They can oh, go yeah. way beyond VeggieTales, <laughs> you know, than we give them credit for. I love that, the idea of in a Christian school when you teach, not separating church history, not separating biblical history, but it's just history, and mm -hmm. we're going to learn things that were in the Bible, and we're going to learn things that aren't in the Bible, mm -hmm. and we're going to put it all together because it's all, that's, that's brilliant. Because m much, many of the texts that we're getting ancient history from are not as well attested as the biblical text as yes. far as, you know, the reliability and such. So, mm -hmm. I mean, it's, it's kind of amazing. But when they get to college, that's immediately the history, will, they will start, start, they will start challenging them on that. So, yeah. you know, they need to be prepared for that. One of the things we've talked about before is people just view apologetics as you're just arguing with people. But one of the really fundamental roles of apologetics is how do I make this real for them? And for some kids, that is going to be the intellectual, you know, learning about the reliability of the Bible, that Jesus existed. And some of them, it, it might be another way, like you said, 
going and, and visiting the orphans and the widows and being those hands and feet of Jesus. So if we, we can't take apologetics and say it's just all this book learning. Apologetics is about making things real to people and making things real, especially to our kids. It has to be a holistic approach. Yeah, right? very much. You address the whole person, not just the mind. Mm-hmm. And you need to really uh, think about, and again, one of those would like to go back and change. As a parent, you want to, you. I led children devotions with my children. Mm-hmm. But I don't think I gave them enough time to then contemplate time mm-hmm. alone with God. Mm-hmm. I once heard Andy Stanley actually talking with his dad, Charles Stanley. And one of the things he said that he said always bugged me about my dad. He said, maybe there'd be a party and I wanted to go to it. And I'd come to my dad and I'd ask. He'd say, well, I want you to look at these couple Bible verses. I want you to go in your room and I want you to have a conversation with God. You read the Bible verses. You have a conversation with God. And whatever God tells you to do, you come back and you, t- you tell me. And then we'll go from there. And he said, so I'm having this conversation with God. And there's just no way, you know, knowing there's probably going to be alcohol there. There's probably going to be something I shouldn't do. How do I read this and talk to God and then come back and still look at my dad and say, yeah, I should still get to go. Yeah. (laughs) And so he said, the thing is, is that he taught me to rely that I have a relationship with God and I need Mm -hmm. to talk to God Mm -hmm. as a parent. And I know I am so guilty of it mm-hmm. that I talk to God for them mm-hmm. in prayers with them too much, too long. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I'm point. sure that there were times when Jared was had issues. But if he didn't really feel that connection to Jesus, that when he's speaking, that Jesus is there. You know, mm-hmm. I've never had Jesus, a voice come out of the sky. But I know just as clear in my mind that I've heard him talk within my heart mm-hmm. and had an answer back. Mm-hmm. I know it. Mm-hmm. But did he? Yeah. And so that is the aspect of where I think we are losing our children too, yeah. is that within our guiding them, we need to make sure that we have hands off in an aspect of this is your faith. Mm-hmm. Because from the time they own it, then they will seek God out when things happen at whatever age they're at. Mm-hmm. But if we are manipulating and guiding and then we let them go out the door off to college, and the issue comes up, we're not there. If they have a problem, okay, let's go pray about it. Well, if mom and dad aren't there, and you haven't really trained them to get on their knees and talk to God, and they really feel like he's talking back, Mm -hmm. then it's not a real faith with skin and bones on it. You know, Christ was real. He had skin and bones. He was here, and he is living in heaven. But if they don't perceive that, then it's not where, it's not their go-to person. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that's, I think that brings up a really good point about at what point, do you stop modeling for them and start kind of, you know, pushing the little bird out of the nest? That's a really difficult line to figure out where it is, but maybe we need to look at some of the other things that we do riding a bike. At some point, you got to mm-hmm. take the train wheels off. What do you think that would look like for taking the training wheels off of someone's faith to where they are riding it? What do you think are some tips for moms for that? Well, I would first of all point to Mary uh, DeMuth's book, and that is Guiding Your Children in a Postmodern Generation. That might not be exactly the title, but um, anyway, she wrote a wonderful book when they were missionaries over in France. And so mm-hmm. here you're taking your children, you're putting them in their public school system, and you've got probably 99% don't believe. And that's so applicable today because we're headed that way in America. We're not we are. France yes. yet, but we're headed. So. so I would say examples that she gave in her book, like, 
coming home and having you know someone say your faith is stupid mm. and being able to talk with that and then having her child still go back and show love and kindness to that person oh, yeah. and reaching out and then by their actions then drawing that child that at first just uh, you're different you're weird and being willing to talk to that person she allowed them to journal their feelings mm. she had them do artwork again to make it their feelings because we know children learn differently some need to write about it some want to draw a picture about it so actually putting hands on it and letting them face the harsh realities of where they were mm. feeling they didn't speak french and yet they had to go in there. So, you know, they didn't feel a lot of love from the teachers. They didn't have an ESL teacher like we provide yeah. for yeah. students here in this country. That would be hard. So oh. Christ had to have real hands and feet in their lives to get them through each day. And there were tears and it was difficult. Mm. But her book about how to survive this postmodern generation, how to raise your children in this generation, I just thought she just hit so many positive things that mm -hmm. you have to let your kids deal with the reality of the situation and then come back and make Jesus that part of each, you know, how would he have responded to that? Let them pray about it. Let mm -hmm. them journal about it. Let them, you know, whatever activity, let them, if they want to bake something for that child and take it back and mm -hmm. then show that kindness. I mean, isn't that what Christ is saying? If they slap you on one side, you turn the cheek and slap yeah. the other. Yeah. That to me is what she was talking about. That's great. I think uh, we need to probably cut this one off. We're getting a little bit long, but we're going to continue this on the next session where we're going to talk about where Jody went uh, after her son did come home and what are some of the steps she took. So thank you so much thank for you. being here. It's wonderful. Happy to be here. It was enjoyable. This has been a Mama Bear Apologetics recording. To learn more about Mama Bear Apologetics, please visit us on the web at www.mamabearapologetics.com. Have you been stumped by your kids already? Or maybe you have a nagging question of your own that you think would make a good podcast. Send us an email to askthemamabears at gmail.com and we will do our best. Rise up, ladies. Rise up, Mama Bears. We are all in this together.